Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You may follow along in your Bibles or look at the screens. (laughs) Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. I want to thank you for coming out to church today, uh, for everybody that's been serving. It's really fun for me to see how our community is becoming knit together, connections being made, experiences being shared, and bonds formed, and the body of Christ is strengthened as a result of that. I really appreciate all of that. I want to invite all of us to bow our heads, and I don't usually pray before a sermon, but I want to do that today. God, we enter into this space because you've called us to come together and to worship you. And when we do that, our hearts are quieted and slow down. Our minds are able to defocus all these things that are trying to get at our attention and focus. We're able to sort of Let that go a little bit and remember again what's important, what matters, how you see the world, how you call us to participate in your presence here on earth. So God, as we worship you today, as we sing, as we connect with each other, as we listen to this message, as we partake of the bread and the wine, I pray that you would Help us to be centered and come before you and be sent out uh, better and more calm and more loving and less reactive, more worshipful. So do that work right now, we pray, as we dive into the word together in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank everyone who came out to Christmas Craft Workshop. I would say most of the people who were there I didn't recognize, which was awesome. Even a bunch of the helpers I was meeting for the first time because you all had invited your family and friends and coworkers to come and uh, participate. And it was really, really cool to see that. I'll show you some pictures here. 
And I wonder what you see when you look at these pictures. Give you a sense, if you weren't there, of what it was like. Some of, things, some of the things that get lost is sort of the energy in the room, the, the noises, uh, the movement, and it just kind of gets into your system and you feel happy and you feel like this is what things should be like, you know, where people are connecting and sharing life together. So it went on like this for three hours. What do you see when you see these pictures, when you look at these faces? What do you see underneath what you see? There's a lot going on in a picture. There's more than meets the eye always. You know, it looks like people are having fun, people are serving. There's also some deep-seated joy. There's a lot of joy in the room. I felt that yesterday. I also was overwhelmed with how much work it takes to pull something like this off. Susie and I were talking after the fact just what it took and how many people sacrificed. There's another word. How much love, there's another word, and how much worship was really uh, had to go into to put on an event like this. There were people who were quietly with their hands and feet worshiping God by putting this together, doing all the little things, all the big things. And then showing up and putting on a face and putting on their hosting hats and welcoming people and absorbing all the ridiculousness that is people to keep things flowing. A lot of hope in the room. There's just a lot going on. And uh, I want to open our first Advent sermon uh, with this idea that C.S. Lewis calls transposition. And lots of you know this word. It's not a theological word uh, that's in the Bible. It should be, I think. And I think C.S. Lewis thinks so also. But it's this idea that you translate from one form to another. So when you transpose music, you change keys. You know, but it's not limited to just music. It's this idea of translation. And sometimes things get lost in translation. Things change in translation because everything isn't one-to-one. You know, that's why we don't say transit. We say transpose. It's something has shifted. So C.S. Lewis meditates on this. He gave a sermon, uh, which he preached at a church, And then he wrote a much longer essay about it. And then a much longer uh, essay, and that developed into a book called The Weight of Glory. And so in your sermon notes for this week, I put a copyright-free version of the entire essay called Transposition and the entire book, um, The Weight of Glory. And if you want some Advent, light Advent reading, don't read that because it's really dense and it's heavy. But it's amazing to meditate in this idea that God was transposed into a human being. That infinity, that eternity, that love was somehow translated down to a human being. So that we, who have been transposed down from the image of God, as divine creatures, as the children of God, down to little human beings, so that we can understand, begin to grasp eternity, infinity, love. And the only way we, as people who have been transposed down, could 
actually begin to even understand a little bit who God is, we had to have God transpose himself down and present himself as Jesus, the Christ. And the fact that he's a baby, it's not just a nice idea, but it's absolutely necessary so that he's approachable. A baby is both safe and holy. You know, a baby is accessible. A baby is right there. A baby is vulnerable. You can handle it. And yet, somehow, within the body, that little baby, there is divinity. That's an amazing idea. And so for today's sermon, uh, I probably read like three dozen article, research articles, and I read one and a half books. And it's just been mind-blowing for me to meditate on this idea of how God transposed himself and the implications of that. And so I'm going to try to uh, share this meditation with you. A lot of it are C.S. Lewis readings, uh, which you can read further uh, in the DVD extra section in the sermon notes. Uh, but I, I want to invite you to just take this idea, uh, internalize it, and take it with you and begin to see the world that way. And you'll go the same route that C.S. Lewis did, understanding that there's the glory of God that's trapped inside, a, each, in, trapped inside each human being. And that's the invitation that Advent has for us this year. So C.S. Lewis and transposition... Here is our first quote. Where we tend to go wrong is in assuming that if there is to be a correspondence between two systems. Okay, he gets pretty technical here, but try to track and you'll really uh, get it. It must be a one-for-one -one correspondence. So he's saying it doesn't have to go that way. If the higher system is to be represented in the lower at all, this can only be by giving each element in the lower system more than one meaning. The transposition of the higher into the lower must, so to speak, be algebraical, not arithmetical. Arithmetical? There we go. What he said. If you are to translate from a language which has a large vocabulary into a language that has a small vocabulary, then you must be allowed to use several words in more than one sense. Now, I don't know how many of you speak a second language, but I came here when I was eight in 1981 speaking Korean. I, I remember writing poetry in Korean. I was very proficient in Korean. Now, I've forgotten most of it. And so when I'm talking with my parents or in Korean, I mean, I used to speak well enough. I actually had a radio show where I preached weekly on the radio in New York City. I know, in Korean. Like, I was that good. Now, I'm terrible. And when I'm talking to my parents, because I can't quite translate, I have to transpose down from the feeling and the reality and the thoughts that I have inside of me. When I transpose that down to the Korean language, I just repeat the same words over and over again. And this is what happens. When I went on a mission trip to, uh, to Chihuahua, Mexico years ago, I knew like four sentences. I felt so much more, and I wanted to communicate so much more than I actually could. 
And the only way I could was by repeating words all the time. And then using my hands and using my face. But none of it was adequate because the reality was far greater than what I could convey. Right? And the recipients, my parents in Korean or, or Mexicans in Chihuahua, they had to now take the, the limited words and my gestures and they had to transpose that upwards, right, into meaning. That's bigger than what I was saying. And that's all C.S. Lewis is saying. That that's a reality that we experience all the time. My sermons, I have so much more that I feel and think, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to get it to you. I don't even know how to get it into my own brain. There's like another brain that understands way more than my brain could actually understand. And my brain struggles. It's just always on the tip of my tongue, on the tip of my brain. It's right there. I get it. I feel it. I believe it. I know it. And yet, I don't know how to think about it or explain it to you at all. That's reality. This morning, I made sure I hugged all my daughters. Susie and I were out last night, and I just wanted to love on them. I felt stuff. But all that came out was a hug that they kind of half rejected. (laughs) It's too early in the morning, Dad. They're literally rubbing their eyes still, and I'm having a moment. You know, it's inadequate. Last night, sitting next to Susie, I felt so much tenderness towards her. I caressed her cheek. She completely was oblivious to it. But I, I just meant so much more by that one caress. It's been transposed down to one little gesture. But there's so much more that meets the eye, isn't there? Isn't that every relationship? Isn't that every interaction? Isn't that why we watch movies, listen to songs, and read books? We're trying to get at the larger reality we know is true. And everything is like a hint. Everything is just like a slightly different angle. And we can see a little bit more into the reality, but we don't quite get the whole thing yet. In reality, this is really what drives human beings forward. We know We know, we know, we know there is more. C.S. Lewis says things like, why are we always surprised at the passage of time? Why is time always going so slow or so fast? Well, because maybe, maybe we were made for eternity. And maybe that's in us and we know this and that's why we want to live longer and better. Why else would we, wouldn't we just accept the materialistic universe? We're born, we don't know why, we don't care, we don't know how to care because we have nothing to compare it to. We were made by a material universe, by material forces for a material existence. If that's true, why do we question time? Why do we have longings? Why do we have hunger? Why do we want more? Why do we see through people beyond the person, beyond the relationship, beyond the love? Why? Because we know reality itself as we know it has been transposed down. You know it. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. You know this to be true. This is, in fact, what defines you as a human being. Your longings. Your knowing that there is more. Your tears, 
your heartaches, your losses, why do you experience them as such? Because they weren't meant to be, because there's a loss. There's a loss of things you never even had. Why? That person never loved you like that. Why are you sad that they're gone from your life? Well, because they stood for something. They were a placeholder for a greater love, a more ideal love, a higher love. Isn't that true? That when you experience the touch of a friend, it's not about the touch of a friend, but it's about another kind of friend. And that friend is visiting you through this friend's touch. And it touches a heart that you don't, you don't even know you have it. You just get that ache. And you say, what, what is that? And I'm telling you, that's Advent. That's your longing for God in your life. It's Jesus come. None of the intimacy I know is actually as intimate as I want it to be. None of the connections I make. Everybody's a placeholder. Everything is an arrow pointing to something else because we know transposition is the reality that we call life. And then C.S. Lewis, he has this really brilliant uh, sort of layer that he adds on. He says, most of us, we just experience life as those who are synthesizing from below. You know, we don't understand what it's like to look from above, we just look from below. And so we make judgments. You know, we become skeptics. We say, there's no spirituality, there's no soul, miracles don't exist. You must be imagining things. You know, there's no love, there's only lust. There's no three dimensions, there's only two dimensions. Everything is flat. You know, this mountain you have on your paper, that's been transposed, hasn't it? from an actual mountain. But we just look at that piece of paper and go, that's all there is, because that's all we know. We've been transposed down. We're on the paper too. We're flat, C.S. Lewis says. You know, our thoughts, they're just activities of grain matter, just twitching. That's all it is. And yet we know, no, 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 no. That's happening for sure. Grain matter is twitching. That's what thoughts are. But those thoughts, the grain matter twitching, that's been transposed down from thoughts above or something. The thoughts, my grandmother, that's an arrow pointing to something else, or sometimes we don't realize that. We just reduce it down. We see all the facts, but not the meaning. And these are the only conclusions that we're able to draw from below. And then C.S. Lewis says, but we have glimpses of moments when we are able to understand from above. C.S. Lewis's leading example in this essay is speaking in tongues. He says, you can scan the brain, you can understand, you can explain it away, you can call it hysteria, you can call it self-deception, you can call it acting. Or, he says, maybe speaking in tongues is some heavenly language, the tongues of angels that's been transposed down to be expressed through a physical body, though in reality, it's not just physical. Or music, when you hear music. You know, we know from science now that when you do CAT scans of people, music penetrates us and gets through to us in ways that language just can't. 
So I can preach all day, but what Katie does with music, that goes to a whole different level. You know? There's something else happening. Or when you have sex, what happens when you're having, is it about the sex, C.S. Lewis says? No, it's not. It's so much more. Sex itself has been transposed down. When you have emotions, and so he quotes the Bible, and he says, the spiritual man judges all things and is judged by none. Because we are able, he says, if you're spiritual, to see from above that what is more real, what is most real, actually is not the concrete world of the lower system, but the invisible reality that was transposed down from above. And then he has this great example. He says, like a dog, you know, God points at the tree and we just look at his finger. We don't actually see the thing he's pointing to. Yet, if you are spiritual, you're able to see beyond the pointing finger to the thing that the finger is pointing to. You look at your life, what do you see? You just see human existence, just survival of the fittest, just human beings doing their human thing, going through their bodily process, processes, their social processes, setting up structures and governments, exchanging currency, building kingdoms that fall. What do you see when you see humanity? That kind of judgment, C.S. Lewis says, is not spiritual. You're missing the view from above. From above, everything is different. Everything is more. Everything is more meaningful. Everything is actually hopeful. You see loving progress towards something greater and richer and more everlasting. You don't judge people as they are, but you see people as they were created to be. You know how to assign infinite value to life because you know they're not just a creature, but standing behind the creature is a creator, and he's eternal, and he loves and so you say, this life is worth everything. I will honor this life. I will give myself for this life. Because we're not talking about a creature. We're talking about the creator himself. We are only claiming to know that our apparent devotion, whatever else it may have been, was not simply erotic or that our apparent desire for heaven, whatever else it may have been, was not simply a desire for longevity or jewelry or social splendors. But at the very least, we know in some dim and confused way that we were trying to use natural acts and images and language with a new value, have at least desired a repentance which was not merely prudential and a love which was not self-centered. We're invited to see the birth of Christ, not from below, as mere mortals, but from above, looking at the grand plan of God. The traditional understanding of the incarnation, which is the doctrine of God becoming man, is just God took on flesh and became a human being. But there's so much more than that that's happening here. Uh, I'm going to read this passage again. <clears throat> 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I read this and I think, if God is God and he can do anything he wants, why didn't he just plop Jesus down on earth? Why go through the womb? You know, why go through a human womb? Like, why create a scandal for Mary and Joseph? You know, why did Mary have to be conceived of a baby inside her actual uterus? using her DNA and then interweaved with that supposedly is the Holy Spirit's DNA, really? Is that what's going on? And then there's this scandal and then Joseph is trying to figure this out and then they have to run away because they're going to be killed. Like why the spiritual and the physical sort of getting enmeshed like this? Because God's commitment is to reach us through transposition so that we can actually see him. He's using the laws of nature, which he himself created. Do you know God owns science? Like, God invented science. And so when God's using the uterus, that's not like some weird thing. That's, God's allowed to use everything in his arsenal. It's all his. And so God is writing a story we can connect to. He's beginning also to crack the veil open a little bit so that we can see beyond our view from below. He's showing us from above. This is God transposing himself down within the confines of human existence through physical laws, through the physical scientific laws of nature. He's saying, I'm going to come to you this way so that you can relate to me. Passage goes on, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Which translated, transposed, means God with us. That's transposition. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. God has a name. God came through the womb. God came through scandal. God came through risk. God came to earth to save us from having, from being imprisoned, being stuck in this lower view existence. God's now trying through his downward transposition to transpose us upward, to open the eyes of our spirit, to open the eyes of our hearts and say, there is so much more. And your first clue is this little boy. This little baby looks like a baby, acts like a baby, talks like a baby, smells like a baby, 
leaks like a baby, and yet keep looking because it's a portal. It's a window. And if you look deeply enough into the person of Christ, you will see the face of God. Jesus said, if you don't believe me, at least believe in my works. Let my works be the portal. Be transposed upward. You know this, God says. You know this. I don't have to convince you. Of the creation knows this. Your conscience knows this. Your longing knows this, that there's more to life than what you see and feel, more than you can touch, more than you can measure. So there isn't really application here, but I want to just ask the question, um, is there more? Is there meaning in the chaos, in the pain, in the injustice? in the boredom, in the depression, in the struggles, in the frustrations of life, is there meaning? Absolutely. Because those things aren't just it. It's pointing to something. Is there redemption? <clears throat> I want to close today with communion, and C.S. Lewis does this um, in his essay so beautifully. He ends the... Um, essay with the idea of incarnation, talking about how all of the Bible is really the story of transposition that pointed to the ultimate transposition downward of God, and then the final, final transposition upward of humanity into the Godhead. And then he ends with this communion idea. He says this, I'm not saying that the natural act of eating after millions of years somehow blossoms into the Christian sacrament. I am saying that the spiritual reality, which existed before there was any creatures who ate, gives this natural act a new meaning. And more than a new meaning, makes it in a certain context to be a different thing. In a word, I think that real landscapes enter into pictures, not that pictures will one day sprout out into real trees and grass. In varying degrees, the lower reality can actually be drawn into the higher and become part of it. The sensation which accompanies joy becomes itself joy. And what he's saying is he doesn't believe that the bread literally becomes the flesh of Christ or that the juice becomes the blood of Christ, but there is a grace that's conveyed through the bread and through the wine such that we can experience the higher realities as we partake of these lower transposed down elements. And this is what the Christian church calls a sacrament, a means of grace, a means of actual spiritual higher reality that comes at you, in you, and flows out through you as you partake. And so those are my words today for this uh, communion we're going to partake in. And I want you to think about that today uh, as you partake of this bread. Pray the prayer. God, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see beyond what I see. Because in my heart of hearts, I know there is more. Even if I don't believe in you per se, even then I still know there is more. Such is the testimony of all my effort 
and all my ways of living, my struggle itself points to the fact that you exist and that you are love because that is what I long for. So pray that with me now. God, help us to partake of these elements with fresh new meaning and appreciation today as we acknowledge Advent, the coming of Christ. We pray that you would come into our lives. Give us a glimpse beyond our earthly lives and help us to see heavenly realities. Amen. On the night in which Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and breaking it, he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat, and as you do, remember me. And then after the meal, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood that's poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink, and as you do, remember me. In our church, as a covenant church, we practice an old... um, uh, first century method called intinction, and it's, it's an open table, meaning you don't have to be part of the covenant church, you don't have to belong to this church, local church even, but if you believe that you are made by God and that you exist trapped in a lower state and that God is coming to save you out of that lower state and calling you, lifting you up upwards with him, And he did that by sending his son to die for us, giving us access to God and his resources. You believe that. That's true. That's reality. If you believe that, then you are welcome to the table. Partake of the elements. And may you receive grace upon grace through this sacrament we practice together today. And if you haven't seen that before and you would like to say, yes, I believe that that's the reality that God exists and he is love and he sent his son to connect to us, to lead us upwards. If, if that's your first sort of penny dropping today, then let this act of taking communion be your prayer to say yes to Christ today. And uh, let's partake together. Come when you are ready.